Welcome to the Eco News Report. I'm your host this week, Tom Wheeler, Executive Director of the Environmental Protection Information Center. The Eco News Report is brought to you by our sponsor, Humboldt Distillery. You can find their local, delicious, organic spirits at your local grocery. And for every bottle of their organic vodka that you purchase, a dollar gets donated to the Coast Keeper Alliance. Joining me from Epic is my friend and colleague, Matt Simmons. Hey, Matt. Hey, Tom. Thanks for having me. Today, we're going to be talking about Last Chance Grade and Caltrans's efforts to rebuild a road through this terribly hard place to have a road. We have an expert here on what's going on, and it is Jamie Mattioli, the project lead for Caltrans on Last Chance Grade. Hey, Jamie. Hey, Tom. Thanks for having me on. Appreciate it. Hey, and I, I just want to just quickly reflect on, on what a, a change of, of scenery this is for Epic to be talking to Caltrans on the radio in a friendly manner. So, Jamie, you must be doing something right. <laughs> I guess so. I guess so. <laughs> well, so last chance grade, if folks haven't heard of it, what are we talking about here? Where, where in the world is last chance grade? So we're south of Crescent City by about 10 miles. Imagine a section of highway, if you're not familiar with it, you're perched right next to the ocean, 600 feet above the ocean, and you're surrounded by an ocean of trees on the east side. A big part of that ocean of trees is a state park and a national park, which is a World Heritage Site. And then there's a big part of that ocean of trees that's Green Diamond Timber Company over to the east. And this area is just highly sensitive. So we have UNESCO World Heritage Site. There are sensitive species. We have sensitive watersheds, Wilson Creek and Mill Creek to the north. And we're in an area with, there's five tribes that have ancestral heritage to this area. So yeah, we're in that really unique, sensitive setting. And we've had this landslide, essentially three miles of landslide. The worst part of it's one mile. And that landslide has been moving slowly and steadily for the most part towards the, the ocean since the 30s, since this highway has been in place. There's one spot we measured about 40 feet of movement horizontally and 30 feet of movement vertically. It dropped that far since the 30s. There's been all these smaller nested slides within this big, that one mile mass. The one mile mass is as much as like 200 feet deep in places. So that's the setting, Tom. So if you're driving, you'll probably recognize it because this is the spot that you'll invariably be stopped for one-way controlled traffic. And you will see on your upslope side, so the side away from the ocean, retaining walls and a whole lot of history of work. So you said that it's been sliding since basically the road was first punched in many, many decades ago. Can you talk a little bit about the efforts to to keep the road open and, and all of the Herculean work that has been going on to continue to allow for travel? Yeah, so I like to say that Caltrans has two jobs at Last Chance Grade. One of those jobs is to keep the road open and safe. And that's what our construction group has been doing and our group that deals with our permanent restoration projects. They've been dealing with that. And I'm not hands-on in that effort. Our other job is to find that long-term solution. And that's where I'm the project manager for that that job. So we've been keeping the road open and safe since the late 30s, since we mentioned we have movement, we have small slides, we go in and we repair the road. And as you mentioned, there's a number of retaining walls. The cost of repairing and maintaining this section of road has been going up in the last decades, and especially in the recent decades. So you've seen a lot more retaining walls built closer to the current time. We were just out there with our deputy director statewide 
And we were pointing out, like, here's a wall from the 90s. Here's a wall from the early thousands. Here's a wall from five years ago. Here's a wall from we're building right now. So you just have this history of all this work to, to hold that road together, keep it open, keep it safe. And impressively, you've yeah. been able to do that so far. And the road as it is as it exists now is, is safe to you. So I, I don't want to trouble anybody on making anybody nervous as they're traveling on the 101. Caltrans would not allow you to travel on the road if it wasn't currently safe. But you've, you've talked about this history of, of attempts to keep it open. And it, it sounds as if the, the costs are rising to continue to maintain the road as it currently exists. So when did Caltrans make a decision that it was necessary for some sort of a, a larger change? We need to rethink this road instead of trying to keep the current road open. Yeah. Well, I know it goes back decades, like just about every decade, I think the 80s, maybe even earlier, Caltrans has considered what could you do to realign the road to avoid the landslide? I think it was the 80s and the 90s and early thousands. There were studies done, but ultimately it was decided the best thing to do is keep the current approach. We, we maintain the road. as If there's a problem, we fix it because it's so expensive, because it's so environmentally sensitive. That's the best approach moving forward. And then it was about 2011, 2012, we had heavy rainfall years. We had storm damage. Momentum was gaining in the community to, to really push for a long-term solution. And it was in 2014 when Caltrans initiated the feasibility that sort of set us on our current course that we're on right now towards that long-term solution. So in 2014, the Huffman Stakeholder Group formed up, Congressman Huffman initiated his own stakeholder group, getting people together from broad cross-section of the community that would that would provide input on project alternative and, and have various other roles. And Tom, you've been part of that group, I think, since the beginning, if I'm not mistaken. And, and other groups were formed around that time, too. So that those early days of this, this effort here, 2014, it was 2016, later when we got to the project study report. But I think we want to talk about those alternatives and how we got started on, on looking at those. Yeah. So there's there's some important news, which is Caltrans has been able to reduce the number of alternatives that is studying for a replacement of last chance grade down to two. This is significant because it's going to reduce the total cost to deliver the environmental impact analysis for this project, and it's going to speed up the timeline to eventually get the project completed. It's a good place for reflection on how we got to these two alternatives, because I've been trying to tell people that for controversial projects... a stakeholder engagement work like Caltrans has done on Last Chance Grade is a great model to deliver things that might be difficult to do. So as you said, Jamie, this is a road that runs through a UNESCO World Heritage Site, which has Native American cultural resource concerns, it has biological resource issues, and is practically constrained by the geology, which is just crap. Everywhere seems to slide as much as everywhere else. Everything is underlain by this same super erosive soil type. And so Caltrans has a difficult task ahead of itself. And I I think that you're doing as good of a job as can be hoped for in in moving forward. Yeah, Matt. Yeah, I was just wondering if you guys could talk more about who the other members are of the stakeholder, like the Huffman stakeholder group, besides, you know, Tom and Epic, because I think it's important for everyone to know just how broad this, this group of people who've been discussing all these alternatives is. 
Yeah, absolutely, Matt. That's a great point. So just within the Huffman Group, we've got other non-governmental organizations, like say the Redwoods League. There's elected officials, county officials, city officials. There's the local transportation commission. Yeah, there's there's just about everyone. You know, we have this cross-section where we have the people that represent the people of the region, at Del Norte, Humboldt County, and then some of the groups that value the resources there. So NGOs, elected officials, business members, land managers, the parks, the national parks and the state parks. Could be a few other types of groups that I'm missing, but I think it's about... The the tribes are members, right? Yeah, tribes are members. Yeah, my gosh. Yeah, so there's there's a ton of folks, and it, it's really a, a super diverse and broad set of members on the on the stakeholder group. And I think that this is important because it's not just trying to sell something to Epic. It's not just trying to sell something to the tribes. It has really been a process where Caltrans has brought in the community that is going to be affected by this project and has said, this is not just Caltrans's project, this is our project. So how are we going to evaluate which alternatives are going to work for us as a community? So let's let's get back to some of the alternatives. We've now narrowed them down to two, but we started off with a whole lot more of alternatives. Usually when you, when you tell people about the conditions of the existing road, they say, well, if you're on a west-facing slope and the ocean's on one side and it is slipping to the ocean, go inland. And Caltrans has investigated those alternatives. I think that we had something between seven to nine different alternatives that were initially investigated from a small bypass to a, a very, very long bypass. So Jamie, what, what happened to those alternatives and why did Caltrans initially consider them and why have they been removed from consideration at this point? So I just want to share real quick, going back to the stakeholders, we have four working groups. Huffman Stakeholder Group is one of those. We have a, a biological working group, which is staff level scientists, experts, tribal members. We have a cultural resource working group, which includes the members of five tribes. And we have the partner group, which has the land managers, so the parks and Green Diamond and tribes. So we have got these all, all these four groups. And from the get-go, our, our leadership, Matt Brady, Brad Medham, folks like that in district, really stressed the importance of working with all of our partners to come up with solutions. And you, you put it better than, than I did, Tom, but it's really listening to all these perspectives and working together to find that, that alternative, that safe sustainable alternative that could meet the needs that we have. So you were asking about a bit about that history of how how we started with 14 alternatives in 2015, and only one of those is still with us now. That's alternative F. So those were build alternatives. So whenever I hear from people about the project, they always say something like, well, it's obvious what Caltrans should do. You have the ocean on one side and you have a landslide that is slowly pushing the road into the ocean. Why don't you just go inland? And I know that Caltrans has studied this a lot so far. I I want you to just go through what Caltrans has already studied and why it has removed these alternatives from consideration. Because I know that you haven't done so lightly or frivolously. So why are we left with the two alternatives that we do have? Yeah. So let me start with, I guess, a list, if, if you don't mind, of the alternatives that we've eliminated. I'll just go through these and then we can cover them. Yeah. So A1, A2, B1, B2, C3, C4, C5, D3, D4, D5, E3, E4, E5, G1, G2, L. All but L are really alternatives that avoid the landslide. 
So we have three basic philosophies or approaches when you have when you have a landslide or or some other hazard. One, you could avoid it, and that's the obvious thing you you would like to do. You prefer to do. Two, you could manage it. So you you could do what we've been doing. It slides and you repair it and you deal with it and you accept the the problems it has. And three, you can mitigate it. Could you improve the situation? Could you reduce the impact or reduce the frequency of of slides? So the alternatives kind of cover those three philosophies or those three approaches. And most of our alternatives, the ones I listed, were avoidance alternatives. They went around the landslide. All but one of those avoidance alternatives, the, the one that's left is alternative F, they've been eliminated for various reasons. Either they were too costly or they had too high of environmental impacts or they still had high risks geotechnically. You could build the alternative and you still have problems with landslides because there are landslides on the east side as well as the west side of the ridge. So it was through analysis. It was through working with the working groups, taking the data we had, listening to the experts. We've brought in blue ribbon panels of experts in in geology, people that really know this Franciscan geology well and have worked with it for years and years, really just doing the math and understanding what we find valuable based on what the stakeholders care about and then making those assessments. So if those alternatives didn't stack up, if they were more expensive, more impactful, higher risk than another alternative, we can make the case that those shouldn't be studied any further. And we only dropped those when we had the support of the stakeholder group, stakeholder system, I should say. So the story is in 2015, we started with 14. By 2016, we're down to six alternatives. 2018, we add two (laughs) alternatives, X and L, and then we eliminated three. So we're at five. And then we add two more, the Gs. And now in 2021, we've eliminated five of those build alternatives. And we're now down to studying X. And F. X and F. Let, let's go through the ones that are left. Yeah. I, I thought the way that you put it as how you deal with the landslide was, was terribly useful. You can go around it or you could try to deal with it. So one is going around it and that is F. So what is, what is F propose? And, and maybe Jamie, you should also come up with some, some better names for these alternatives that are a little bit more creative than, than F and X and L and, and G and A and whatever else. I am totally open to suggestions on that, Matt or Tom, if you have good ideas. Maybe instead of F, you could go T because it's a big tunnel. (laughs) So so tell us about the tunnel alternative. So I've been very creatively calling it the full tunnel alternative because it, it fully bypasses that northern landslide. It's over a mile in length. It has two areas where you really have a footprint. That's the southern portal or opening to the tunnel and the northern portal. The southern portal takes off heading to the north-south of the boundary of the landslide. And the tunnel goes east of the landslide underground and then heads north, goes north, and then and then comes out of the northern portal, which is right there in skate parks in a real sensitive area where we have old-growth redwoods. So we do expect to have impacts to old-growth redwoods at the northern portal. That's it in a nutshell. Yeah, Eco News Report and Jamie Mattioli from Caltrans is joining Epic to talk about the Last Chance Grade project. You also have X. And so X is kind of the, we'll try to deal with the landslide as it exists alternative. So how does one try to stop a landslide? Yeah. So I'd, I'd actually say it's more of the mitigation approach. Like we have the management approach and we have the mitigation approach. The no build 
is the management. We deal with small landslides as they happen. So this landslide that happened in, in February, when you look at the map, it's small when you look at how, how large the whole landslide is. It's a huge deal when you talk about the impact to the community being down to one lane, all the work, the closures, any sort of closures that has a big impact to quality of life and economy in the region. So X is is not the no-build. X is this proactive, holistic approach of mitigating the landslide. You look at the whole one-mile landslide, you study it. We're collecting data right now. We, we flew in drill rigs in the state parks so we could collect data on the type of materials, the amount of groundwater, and how things are moving, how fast they're moving, what directions they're moving. First, we need to understand what's going on. We need to understand, is there this relationship that we suspect there is between groundwater and movement? There's a strong suspicion that movement happens when groundwater levels are high because of the physics. The physics say that when you have increased saturation in the soils, it's more slippery and you have more pressure, more weight. So it it would tend to move at a faster rate. So one approach to stabilizing or mitigating is to reduce the groundwater. And there's a few ways that could happen. There could be wells that were drilled and they would flow passively. You could reduce groundwater passively through tunnels throughout the water somehow to the ocean. You could pump water. You could have a tunnel system that has radiating drains, and the water flows passively down that tunnel. So there's a number of ways that and our geologists and engineers will develop those solutions as, as we better understand the system. number of ways to dewater the system. So dewatering is one approach. The second approach is structures. So we have retaining walls. There could be additional retaining walls, perhaps more substantial structures, deeper, larger tiebacks. Tiebacks are the horizontal steel rods or nails that, that hold things back into the earth. And then the third approach is geometric. Change the position of the road in space. Can you cut further into the hill at places? If you do that, do you, do you gain some real estate from the coastal erosion that's happening, moving the road further to the east so that you avoid some of the, the, the action of erosion at the toe of the slope? So those three things and a combination of those three things, changing the geometry, putting in structures, and pulling out water will all be analyzed and considered in, in how you can mitigate the whole system. This is not just Caltrans making it up for the first time here on Last Chance Grade. I, I imagine that, that this technology has been employed on other projects for other landslides throughout the state or throughout the country. Is that right? That's right. Yeah. And, and we have people on our team who have done this stuff. We have a project-specific consultant who has experts in the the geology and these sorts of projects. And we have an oversight contract, geologists and engineers that are helping Caltrans with the oversight of, of the work. So there's multiple people that have worked on these sorts of projects and understand what has worked, what might not have worked as well. So it wouldn't be the first place or the only place in the world that has successfully used dewatering. We're still investigating how effective dewatering would be and, and the whole X how effective it would be. So that needs to be studied and that'll take time going back. First, we need to understand the geology and then we need a model of how to improve stability. And then we need to study, test and analyze how effective would it really be. 
So Last Chance Grid is interesting because we have both this long history of Caltrans already doing a lot of this back work to figure out what are potentially feasible alternatives. And we still need to project forward additional time to try to figure out, even still with these alternatives that we've identified, how would we move forward to complete them? Can you talk about what is the process moving forward for this environmental analysis and for this alternatives analysis? What's still left to do to, to figure out how you would build the road here? Yeah, there's a lot left to do. So we're technically still at the beginning of the environmental process. So all of this work that we've done with the stakeholders and, and sorting out the alternatives has been leading up to our, our notice of preparation, notice of intent, where we let the public know these are the alternatives that we are studying moving forward. So that's the first step, we're kicking off with the public this summer. Hey, these are, these are X and F. We're going to study them. Here's why we're going to study them. At the same time, this summer, we're, we're studying. We've got crews out there studying for wetlands, the botany, the biology, the creatures, measuring trees, all of the general studies and biological studies that are needed for us to draft um, the draft environmental document happening this, this summer into the fall. And then we write that draft environmental document and we circulate it in 2023 to the public. And then we have formal comments. And it's not until we have those formal comments that we're able to work with our stakeholders to select that final alternative. So by 2025, we, we expect to have the environmental document complete sometime that year. And we would have worked with our stakeholders to select that alternative. But backing up, I missed a key step in what we're doing right now with the studies. The studies help us identify impact. That's what it's all about. So for X and for F, what are the impacts? What are the impacts to trees? What are the impacts to wetlands? What are the impacts to creatures, to plants? And then there's the cultural issues. There's the societal, economic issues. All of those are being studied. And also, we do this preliminary engineering piece, which includes the geology. So now some of the most challenging, critical thinking is moving to our geologists and engineers who are assessing risk, who are refining the project alternatives as they study that data that comes in. And ultimately, they're, they're going to tell us, before we make a decision, what is the risk of selecting an X, a mitigation alternative? What is the risk of selecting that full tunnel? And that helps us make a decision. So that, that's really what we're doing, Tom, is up until 2025, we're making a decision. We're understanding the impacts, understanding implications of that decision. And then with the support, with the understanding, with the participation of the stakeholders, we make that decision so that we can design. So once we get over that decision <laughs> watershed moment, now we're designing and we're applying for permits and we're in an entirely different phase of the project. And that should take a few years to get the permits to complete the design so that you have you have a design that the contractor can now go and build. And, and then you begin the construction phase after that. So right now we're, we're out until 2038 with this whole thing, which would be the opening. <laughs> I know I see the reactions. People on the radio can't see it. We expect that we will accelerate that. We're, we're doing everything we can to make that timeline go faster because it's there's this urgency with the public and there's a huge validity to that. And people in the region are driving this often every day. They've had the, they deal with the impacts of driving with one lane. They send their children to school from Klamath to Crescent City. They get dialysis treatment and Eureka coming from Crescent City. And the risks of some sort of closure, temporary or, or longer term, the risks are, are severe. 
in terms of economic impacts and impacts to quality of life. You can lose thousands of jobs. You could lose hundreds of millions of dollars if we don't have a road. It's really a, you put it so well, Tom, it's a project to keep the road open. It's, it's a project to have a road for the people of the region. Uh, well, so, so Jamie, I'll, I'll just give some kind of unsolicited opinions from myself as a member of one of the stakeholder groups, which is that what, what Caltrans has been able to do thus far in this project, which has been really impressive, is that it has used this stakeholder group as a way to bring people into the decision-making framework and to give light to what is often kind of an obtuse or opaque process the government's often criticized for having a black box decision-making structure where decisions are made and we, the public don't really understand how they're made. So we can react angrily to, to those decisions. They, they don't appear to us to be rational or, or well thought out, but Caltrans has really brought along the public throughout this process. And so something that is kind of funny about last chance grade is most of the time Epic as an organization we're always advocating for for more study of alternatives and more alternatives analysis and we would be upset if if an agency had cut out alternatives early in the process but but here what caltrans has been able to do is that prior to the formal environmental impact review process you've already done that work and you've brought along the public and so we are able to understand and see the alternatives that have been considered already and have been removed and I, again, I want to emphasize the cost both to taxpayers and to the natural environment that additional alternatives analysis would have required. So Caltrans is moving forward with the two alternatives that it thinks are best based on a whole rubric of consideration. Impacts to the environment, ability to complete the project, technical feasibility, risk of long-term closure, you know, a, a whole number of different factors. These two alternatives have basically ranked best amongst all of the alternatives in nearly every category. So these are hands down the best alternatives. So these are the ones that we want you or the public should want Caltrans to engage and study. If we were to kind of arbitrarily ask Caltrans to to include a larger bypass study. So if we were to say, well, that's great and fine, but you should still consider a jaunt to the east through Green Diamond Land as part of your impacts analysis, what we're effectively doing is we're asking for millions of additional dollars in study. And we're asking for a lot of pretty impactful work. So in some of these areas, as you've said, Jamie, Caltrans has had to helicopter in equipment, drilling equipment to, to test the soil, to do seismic analysis and do the geotechnical work that is necessary to understand whether or not the road would be feasible. So we're avoiding a ton of very expensive work and work that would require things like sending in drilling equipment into old growth roadwood stands in a state park. We can avoid that now. So so what Caltrans has been able to do, and and this is why I said earlier in our conversation that I think that this is a good model for other potentially controversial projects, whether it's Caltrans or any other agency, is that by providing this information to stakeholders and bringing stakeholders in to witness Caltrans grappling with all of these conflicting issues, we can see the process and we can see that this is a well thought out and reasoned decision. So process matters to Epic and this is this has been one of the better processes. So I, I want to emphasize that Epic thinks that what Caltrans has done thus far on this project 
is is good. And I, I think that we probably could have avoided other fights with your agency, Jamie, had a similar process gone through. And I saw that Matt wanted to get in here. So, Matt. Yeah, I just wanted to add in, you know, I think there's this talking point that pesky environmental groups are, are stopping all this progress from happening, right? And I think here we have this good example where we're working together. And also, it's, it's really great that Caltrans is performing all this environmental analysis before they go through with a project, right? Because historically, we have instances where agencies have done something, and then it turns out like, oh, there were environmental impacts that we're still dealing with today. And, you know, just speaking for myself, I'm, I'm glad that in today's modern age, we have agencies that are more willing to really sort of think before they leap, even if that means that projects take a little bit longer. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Jamie, so I wanted to give you an opportunity to direct people, if they're curious, to where they could find out more about the project, take a look at the alternatives for themselves, and see some, see some of the, the documents and maps that Caltrans has produced for Last Chance Grade. Yeah, so thanks, Tom. And I appreciate your comments there. So lastchancegrade.com has a lot of good info. We're updating info based on this recent work we were talking about here of narrowing down the alternatives. So more info will be coming out, but you can see the, the list of alternatives, some of the info about those. There's some really good videos that have been developed and kind of telling the story of, of the process that we've gone into and how, how unique and challenging and important this all is. And if I could just add one unsolicited comment, Tom, on, on the stakeholder engagement, it's really a credit to the stakeholders and the whole system for being willing to come together and work with us and sit through some, I think you mentioned in your article, some boring information at times, the patience to trudge through it with us and to really work with us and really bring these perspectives that aren't always in alignment. We have many people with conflicting objectives, but we're in this space where people are, are just sharing them openly and honestly. And that's been so valuable to Caltrans as we make decisions. And I, I want to credit the Caltrans leadership for going back to 2014 for ensuring that we had this process. So they were they were pretty clear to me, Jamie, you need to you need to do this. You need to have the stakeholders supporting these decisions on alternatives. Well, Jamie, you're not giving yourself enough credit because you're the one who actually got all you've you were the one who helped to hurt all the cats. So special credit goes to you. And thank you for joining today's Eco News Report. We'll be sure to have you on in the future when there is the next big announcement about Last Chance Grade. Thanks so much for having me. Great to meet you, Matt. All right. Well, this has been another episode of the Eco News Report. Join us next week on this time and channel for more environmental news from the North Coast of California.